This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And welcome back to an episode of the Clue Your Jets podcast. We're host Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Michael, nine days until the NFL draft. We're almost there. How you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. I know a lot of people don't necessarily like this part of the draft season where, you know, most of the key events have already happened, the pro days, the combine. We're kind of just dragging it out, coming up with all the debates that we could possibly come up with. Um, I kind of enjoy this time, though, you know, putting finishing touches on your analysis of the prospects, getting ready for the draft. It, it builds anticipation and kind of adds to the magnitude of the draft itself. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the draft, but I'm also enjoying this time to kind of put final finishing touches on our preparations. Yeah. And you've done a lot of cool articles on jets X factor this last week, you know, trying to d- decide who are the Douglas guys. And I guess before we get into the, today's podcast, I guess just give our listeners a, a brief summary on kind of what you found and what jets fans can maybe be expecting from Douglas next week. Yeah. Well, I was doing a lot of research on their trends over the past two drafts and obviously things can change year to year. They did change from just between 2020 in 2021, but um, there are a few themes that Douglas has stuck to over his first two drafts. And one thing that I found is that he really prefer has preferred for all of his prospects to be one of two things, either an above average athlete based on their relative athletic score, their RAS, or a team captain. One of those two things, every pick has matched except for Ashton Davis or Jamie and Sherwood. And Davis just didn't do enough testing in 2020 to qualify yeah. for an RAS, he would have, but he would have met it easily. Um, but other, other than that, just Sherwood. So if you're not a team captain or an above average athlete based on RAS, which is 7.5 is the about league average for a draft pick. Um, it's been very rare to see him pick those guys. Sherwood's been the only one who hasn't checked one of those boxes. And, and does, um, does Sherwood's get skewed yeah. because he was technically a safety in, in college? And, you know, like if he was testing with the linebackers, do you think his relative athletic score would be higher? Is that how it works or? It would be a little bit higher. You can actually change uh, and see what their numbers would rank at each position, but it accounts for your weight. So like he's a big safety right. uh, because of his weight. So it does account for that, but the numbers still weren't quite there. Um, so other than that, though, he has preferred early in the draft to take great athletes, usually eight plus RAS. Actually, he's taken more nine plus RAS players than any other team in the league with seven of those. Um, so he's favored elite athleticism early than later in the draft. He's been more open to guys who aren't as great athletes, but those guys have typically been team captains when they haven't been great athletes. So 
a good blend of top end athleticism and uh, the leadership that you get in a team captain. Well, before we get into today's um, topics, I guess, who are some of those guys that maybe stood out to you? I mean, obviously, you can go find the articles on JetsXFactor.com, but maybe a few guys that, that really stuck out to you as potential uh, people to keep an eye out for next week. Yeah, well, looking at guys who check both boxes, there are some interesting options. A few in the first round, but once you get into more so the later rounds, you can kind of identify some potential guys they key in on. But in the first round, um, well, here are the first round prospects who meet both those criteria. They're a team captain and a nine plus RAS, Aiden Hutchinson, Kyle Hamilton, Jordan Davis, Devin Lloyd, and Zion Johnson are the five probably first round guys who meet those criteria. So it is pretty rare to hit both of those. Um, but Hamilton and Davis, I think are interesting to kind of increase their possibility of being and Devin Lloyd as well. Um, Hutchinson, I think, we all know it would obviously be great if he did fall to the Jets, but there's a reason he probably won't. Um, but I think it is more interesting to kind of look at the, I think the stronger trend comes from the guys who they won't draft. You know, what I mentioned before needing to hit one of those two boxes. And I was able to look at some of the guys who didn't hit both of the, who failed to hit both of those boxes. Um, so kind of putting them in that range where they'd be an outlier pick for the Jets. Um, and there are a few uh, interesting guys there more so later in the draft, but Traylon Burks, Jahan Dotson, Roger McCreary. Um, but it doesn't really rule out anybody at the top of the draft because there are a lot of, most of the top prospects are good athletes or team captains or both. So, um, but you can start to rule some guys out later in the draft, um, but it, it will be interesting to see how much he sticks to these trends here in his third draft. Yeah. All fascinating stuff. And again, you can go to jets X factor to find, Um, Some more in-depth details on that. So today, Michael, I mean, we've been talking about these these draft prospects the last few months here. I think everybody's sick of this, and we all just want to get to the draft and see who the Jets actually take. Uh, That's why I was pretty appreciative of your, you know, trying to predict who Joe Douglas might go after, because that's really all that matters is what Joe Douglas and Robert Sala think. And for most picks, I think you and I, Michael, will be able to talk ourselves into whoever the Jets select. However, today, and this is going to be a very important we are going to grade every potential Jets pick. Um, I think I think it's a very low chance we don't say anybody for picks four and ten. We did do some second rounders. It's it's obviously a bigger pool there. It's a lot harder to predict. So it is p- possible they could take somebody in the second round that we don't talk about. But the goal here is that they don't take anybody at four and ten that we don't give our opinion on. And I think that's that's very key because then then whenever however the draft goes, you know, we can rationalize it and be optimistic and buy into whoever the Jets take. But I think it's important to have it on record, um, kind of what we're feeling here. Um, so Michael, starting at pick number four, and this is the easiest one to predict. I I don't think there's anybody we'll list here that they that they uh, or I don't think they'll take, I don't think it's possible for them to stay at four and take anybody that we don't list here. Because we went deep here. Most likely it'll be an edge. So we'll start there. Starting with with the edges, and you mentioned Hutchinson, very unlikely he makes it to the Jets, but we'll start it with him. You've seen crazy things. Maybe maybe the Lions go with with Trayvon, or maybe the the Jaguars go with Trayvon Walker, the Lions go with Malik Willis, and and the Texans go with Ike McWanu, and then bang, Hutchinson's there. Very unlikely, but you never know. Um, If the Jets were to somehow land Aiden Hutchinson, what, what letter grade would you be given that pick? I'd have to go A+. I think that's the dream scenario. I think he's clearly the number one player to me Uh, i know there are concerns about how high is the ceiling how does he compare to other elite edge prospects uh, prospects of the past 
the Bozas of the world, the Miles Garrett's, those type of guys. Um, I don't think he's necessarily quite at that level, but I still think he is the best prospect in this draft. Dominant production, uh, fantastic athleticism, athleticism all around. Uh, I, I think that'd be a home run. I don't see how he'd possibly make it there, but it would be great. Yeah, I don't really see him making it there either. It just pure, I mean, obviously he's an amazing player. It is, it is kind of funny because it's it's not exactly the same, but when Sam Darnold was coming out in 2018, the assumption was that there's no chance he makes it to three. So when we were looking at the quarterbacks, I mean, we didn't have this podcast back then, but we were both, you know, doing our own our own thing. When we were both looking at the the quarterbacks, I remember really not spending that much time looking at Darnold because you just assumed that he wasn't going to be there. And then the Jets drafted him and then you had to do all this kind of retroactive scouting and kind of make your own opinions of him. Um, Hutchinson's kind of the same way where it's like, I haven't really looked too much into Hutchinson because I've always kind of figured he wasn't going to be there. Um, I'm pretty confident that everybody has him as their number one edge. And I think the, the excitement factor alone of if if they landed him would be a plus worthy. So I'll, I'll follow you on this one. I'm going to try to to differentiate from you, Michael. Um, but I'll say, I agree with you on this one. If they get Aiden Hutchinson, it has to be an A plus now Kayvon Thibodeau, who at this point has kind of emerged as, I don't want to say the most likely pick. But he's going to the Jets in a lot of mock drafts just based on the way the board is falling. People expecting Kayvon to go maybe a little bit lower than, than some thought a few months ago. The Jets having a big needed edge, him being a relatively a, a good scheme fit. If you think, he, you know, I, I think him playing in a wide nine front is, is very uh, beneficial towards him. It just depends, you know, with Carl Lawson, maybe the Jets would want to go with a bigger defensive end to pair him with. Um, but all, all that aside, it seems like Kayvon to the Jets is a pretty, pretty popular mock draft pick. And Michael, I have to say, if the Jets do go with with Kayvon on draft night, it's going to be hard not to be really excited. I don't want to, you know, flood the, these grades with a bunch of A's, but I'll say if the Jets get Kayvon, if they're happy uh, with him and they're comfortable with all the off-field stuff, it's it's hard not to give it an A. Um, I'll, I'll go A-, minus, but it, that's really just to be, you know, trying to cover the boxes of, you know, there are some concerns off the field. If you look at Joe Blewett's uh, film reviews, it's not like he's necessarily a slam dunk chase young level prospect, but he's still an amazing edge rusher and the first big time edge rusher. I can really ever remember the jets um, selecting high actually outside of Vernon Golston. So uh, I'll give, I'll give, I'll give cave on an a minus. How about you? Yeah, I, I think I'll go a half grade higher than you. I'll go with an a for this reason, because I think part of the, like you mentioned, part of the concern is the off the field stuff. But from a team perspective, if they are picking him, then I think I could feel confident that, you know, they did their research. Obviously, they just met with him and apparently went well. But I mean, what else do you expect them to say? <laughs> but, you know, you can feel confident that if they pick him, that they are comfortable with all of that stuff. So I think you can just look at the talent and look at the need and the scheme fit and be very excited about that one. So I'll go to solid A. And Trayvon Walker is the other edge that I think you see mocked the Jets a lot. Some people have have Trayvon Walker going number one. He's a very popular pick to the Lions at two. I've even seen him go three to the Texans. But if he does make it through all three picks, you'd have to imagine – if Trayvon's there at four, you'd probably imagine that Kayvon went. But there's a scenario where they're both on the board. I put a tweet out this week that said, you know, if both are on the board, who do you want? I think 90% of Jets fans said Kayvon. And then I said, okay, but who do you think the Jets would go? And again, it was like – I think it was like 88% Kayvon. So Jets fans think – they should, they would take Jets fans would take Kayvon over Trayvon and they think the Jets would take Kayvon over Trayvon. I don't know if I'm as sure about that. I, I think I would take Kayvon, but 
I, I don't know if I would rule out the Jets passing on, on Trayvon Walker over K. What do you think about that, Michael? I mean, obviously, you, I mentioned your grade for Trayvon Walker, but what do you think? If Kayvon and Trayvon are both on the board, who do you think the Jets might lean towards if you look at some of their preferences? Oh, I agree with you. I don't think it's a slam dunk they would take uh, Thibodeau because I think another tendency we've kind of seen with their picks the past few drafts is that they've had a lot of confidence in their developmental ab- ability. I feel like they've leaned towards – more moldable prospects than the more complete prospects. And obviously Walker is, you know, if he goes top five, he's going to be the most prime example of a player who's picked for what he could be rather than what he is uh, among the top five picks in recent years. So I I do think they have a lot of confidence. They have a lot of confidence in their coaching staff to develop these types of players. So I, I could, I think Walker has probably the highest ceiling of any of the edge rushers. Um, so I could definitely see them thinking that they could develop that. So it, if they're both on the board at that point, I would definitely feel 50-50 on who they're going to pick. Not necessarily who I'd prefer, because I agree with you on Thibodeau, but uh, who they will pick, I definitely could see either. Yeah, I just think the ceiling on Thibodeau is so high, but I it, I guess it's also very high on Walker. I mean, you look at his athletic score. Um, I am kind of weary of a guy who who's – maybe biggest red flag is his production. That's not to say he wasn't productive. And as you pointed out, um, we were talking before this, that his floor is a lot higher than people would think. I think it's, it's pretty likely that Walker will come to the NFL and immediately be a, a fairly good run stopping defensive end. And then it's, can you develop his pass rushing ability with the traits that he has? Uh, and like you said, that does seem like a very Robert solid Joe Douglas pick, take the athlete, trust themselves to develop him. Um, all the reports in the combine um, were really high. That's re- when you really saw him shoot up the draft boards. Whereas Kayvon was a bit of the opposite. So we don't know. I don't know either Trayvon or Kayvon, but I think it is the, the perception is that Trayvon Walker is the, uh, the football guy and Kayvon's maybe more of the brand guy. I don't know if that's actually true, but if we're going off that perception, maybe Trayvon might fit the Jets culture a little bit better. Um, if they took Trayvon Walker, I'd give it a B plus. I'd be pretty happy with Trayvon, but I think there is the, you have to be a little bit patient with it. You have to be both patient with him and Kayvon that they're not going to come in year one and immediately be amazing. They might have some great highlights and stuff, but I think both guys are going to take a little bit to develop. Um, it's just, you know, which traits do you want to bet on? Uh, what would you give Trayvon? I don't know if you give your answer. I think I'll go the solid B. Um, it obviously depends on who else is available when they make the pick. Like if Thibodeau isn't there and they take him, I'll definitely grade it higher. Uh, against him, I'd probably take the higher floor of Thibodeau, but um Overall, I think B is good because there's a lot of ceiling here, but you know, no, there is a good degree of risk considering the gap in his production versus some of these other players. Now, the last edge we're going to talk about at number four is Jermaine Johnson. Um, now, to me, this all really comes down to how the first three picks go because at the first three picks go, you know, Trayvon, Kayvon, or Hutchinson, Trayvon and Kayvon, whatever, in whatever order. And the Jets take Jermaine Johnson as the fourth edge. I think part of me might be a little underwhelmed and it might feel like they reach for a need, even if Jermaine Johnson wasn't their fourth edge on the board. It just might feel that way. If they get to the board and they have a choice between Kayvon Thibodeau and Jermaine Johnson or whoever, and they go with Jermaine Johnson, I might feel a little bit better about the pick because it'll be like, all right, this is, this is their guy. Like I'm not going to really criticize, especially after the, the draft they had last year. If Robert Sala and Joe Douglas really fall in love with Jermaine Johnson. They had him at the senior bowl and they think this is the guy for the system. I'll, I'll, I'll talk myself into that. But for right now, I'll say if they take Jermaine Johnson at four, I'm between a C plus and a B minus. I know you're probably a little bit lower than me. Um, 
I'll, I'll give it a B minus because if they take him, I'll, I'll talk myself into it. But, and, and I like the prospect. I'm not going to pretend like I don't like Jermaine Johnson, but is he the best player on the board? Probably not. So I'll, I'll go C plus actually C plus. How, okay. how do you feel? I'm going to go a little bit lower than you. I'm going to go to C minus um, mainly because I don't, there's not a scenario where he would be my favorite pick in this spot. Um, if all three of those other edge rushers go top three, I think I'd rather take Gardner. Um, or Aquano. Eh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about <laughs> oh, that. Okay. But, um, but yeah, I, I just don't see him quite on the same tier as those other three edge rushers. He's a lot older than these guys. He's already 23 years old. And his production wasn't great either. And he, does, he is very good athleticism too, but not quite on a Walker level. Um, and I do like the floor with him. I think the floor is good. His run defense is great. Good edge setter, good length, um, plays with good motor, all that stuff. Um, so I do like the floor. I don't think there's like super bust potential with him, but I, I'm very skeptical of the ceiling because of the lack of production at his age. Uh, he did have the sacks, but I'm more talking about like his win rate and his pressure rate and stuff like that. And there's evidence that that correlates really well to the league and his pressure rates and his win rates were about average for a college edge rusher, which at 23 years old going to the NFL, not a great sign. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't love this pick, but I would, would trust their judgment in making it. I think the floor is decent and I think he's a, a good scheme fit for what they, for what they need. So wouldn't absolutely despise the pick, but it definitely wouldn't be thrilling. I would say. I agree with everything you, you pretty much said there. Um, I think it's just, if they do take him, as I said, it really, my perception of the pick will really get um, influenced by whoever's the first three picks. Cause if it really feels like they reach for an edge, I, I might feel a little lower about it. Whereas if they take him over another edge prospect that we just talked about, I think you have to feel like, okay, they really believe in this guy. Um, and remember we're grading the pick, not necessarily the player. You might like Jermaine Johnson, but for the jets at four, I can see why you'd give it a C minus. And when we talk about grading the pick and not the player, I think that's something to keep in mind with Ika McWanu, who I, before Lake and Tomlinson was signed, was a very popular pick for the Jets. Obviously a scheme fit. You liked that he could potentially play guard year one, and then it gives you the flexibility between Beckton and Fant. The Jets signed Tomlinson, so there's not really a spot for him to start year one unless you know, you're either sending Fant or Beckton to the bench, you're having a battle between the two of them. I get the argument that you want to draft the best player available. You want to look towards the long-term. Ideally you are investing in the trenches. So it is still a, a position you're valuing at tackle. You can let Fant walk next year, get a comp pick. Uh, it gives you insurance. If Becton gets injured, you could trade one of them. I could see him doing this. I, I definitely think Equanu is still very much on the board. And I think if it gets to a point where like, you know, if Trayvon, Kayvon and Hutchinson both all go in the top three, I really do think there's a chance to go Equanu over Sauce, even if, if you think corner is the bigger need. If they take Equanu, I'll give it a. Uh, it's hard because he's a great player and he's a great scheme fit. So you like uh, the player, you want to give it an A, but I'll give it a B plus, I guess. I mean, maybe I'll give it a B. I'll try to be. I'm trying to be critical here. I'll give it a B, even though you really like the player. It's just it's hard to to see them take a guy that you don't really know where he's going to play year one. Uh, how would you feel about Aquano? Yeah, I, again, I'm going to have to go a little bit lower than you. I think I'll go with the C. And honestly, this is even that's, probably a little bit higher low. than I expected. But um, I can't hate this pick because I love the player. So 
it would be hard for me to just flip out about it because I do think he's probably top three prospect with Hutchinson and Gardner overall. So love the prospect. I can't be mad at it. But at the same time, I just think the allocation of resources, you know, three straight first round picks on O-line when you have your starting five set, you have a lot of other issues to address, especially defensively. Um, and, you know, there is the potential to where you don't need this player. Obviously, you might need him, and there's a good chance you will with Becton's injuries, Fant is 30, free agent, easy schedule last year, breakout year, a lot of question marks. There's a good chance they're going to need to tackle, but there is also a chance that Becton does stay healthy and pan out, and George Fant does have another good year, and you tag him or extend him. Um, and I'm not as concerned about Fant's age because you know, O-line – at 30 isn't necessarily that yeah, old. It's not the age. It's, it's can he do it again? Yeah. yeah. And, and what are you going to pay him? And what are you going to pay him? Right. Year? Right. And there's that as well with, you know, other O-line contracts coming up already locked into Tomlinson. So there are questions. And, but I, I just feel like that this pick needs to be used on someone who you know is going to play right away, who you know has a path to being a long-term starter. And if tackle becomes an issue, I think you can address it next year. Um, you know, obviously you probably won't get the same level of prospect. You're not going to be hopefully not picking fourth again. Um, but I think I, I just would prefer to use this pick on a different position, but I do like this player. So I'll stick with the C. Yeah, it, it's, it's tough. I mean, every year we say it, that they're not going to draft for need. And I, I see you're, you're not even advocating to them to draft for need, but just when you look at the allocation of resources, it does make sense to maybe go elsewhere. And look, if Joe Douglas is a supposed offensive line guru, you'd hope that he could find good offensive linemen past day one. Right. They definitely need a tackle because if one of them goes down, Connor McDermott's playing meaningful reps and you don't want that. I mean, they signed Morgan Moses after the draft last year, so they could still sign a veteran. Um, but I think they need to draft a tackle. If it's Ekwanu, if, if the three edge guys go or Ekwanu's the top guy on the board, I'm not, I can't hate it. Cause like you said, you love the player and you can see the path to him, you know, on the field and stuff, but uh, just our reaction to the pick, I think you'd, you'd rather have another position uh, at four, um, but sticking with the other tackle, Evan Neal, I, I'm going to go a lot lower on Evan Neal. I think Ekwanu is a much better fit. He makes sense to me. If they're going to take a tackle, it's Ekwanu. Um, but if they took Evan Neal, I'll give it a D. And Evan Deal is not a D-rated player. It's just everything we laid out about Ekwanu, but a guy who fits the system worse. Um, so I'd go D on, on, on uh, Evan Deal. I agree with you. That's the same grade I had. Uh, in this position, I think compared to Ekwanu, like, again, with Ekwanu, at least I'd like the player a lot. I think he's a fantastic prospect. I just don't see it with Evan Neal. Um, the pass protection floor is pretty good, um, but – I see a lot of weaknesses in the run game and I think pass pro is more important, but in terms of scheme fit, it's the run game where you're looking and I just don't see the same mobility. I think he leans into his blocks a lot and loses at the second level, which can't really have in this game. So I don't love this prospect or the position. So would not be very high on that pick. Now going to the defensive backs. And I think there's really only one realistic option here. Uh, and that's Sauce Gardner. And I think the only way they take Sauce is if the three edges are gone or if two of them are gone and they don't love uh, Kayvon. Because um, th- there is that, that that possibility that they get to the, you know, if, if Walker, Thibodeau, and Hutchinson go and they have to choose between Ekwanu and Gardner. I, if you listen to what they say, it sounds like they would might go Ekwanu, but Sauce Gardner, I love this player. Like this is an A-rated player for me. 
I think this is a, a, a future Pro Bowl corner. I think the Jets cornerback room is solid. I think you can survive on it. Clearly, the Jets don't believe they need to invest premium assets in that. But if you have a if you have a Pro Bowler staring you in the face, I'm not saying he's a you know automatically a Pro Bowler, but if that's how you view a certain player, it doesn't matter if he plays a quote unquote non premium position for you, especially when that position is premium for the vast majority of the league. I'd say Sauce Gardner is an A player for me for the Jets in this situation because of the huge needs at, at edge and receiver. I'll go B plus. I'll I'll give him the same grade I gave Trevor Walker. My reaction to the pick would be a B plus, but. I'm, I'm teetering on an A because I love this player, um, but I'll, I'll go B plus for now. Yeah, I'm going to actually go higher than you now. I'm going to go with a solid A, and this does kind of go against some of my football philosophies. I do believe in the pass rush over the secondary, but I just think in this instance, this is the best player. Again, it depends on who's available and everything. Right. But, if um, they take him over Kayvon, it's a little different maybe. Yeah, the, I that one would have me teetering a little bit, but if there's no cave on option, I think this is clearly where I'd like to go. And again, like I was saying, I, it's not necessarily where I lean in terms of importance and everything, but I just think this is by would be by far the best player available. And that's not to say that cornerback isn't important or isn't a need, just a little bit less so than pass rush. Um, but when the talent gap is as big as, I perceive it with Gardner versus, you know, Walker, Johnson, um, some of these other players, and then the positional need versus O-line. I think it's clearly the best pick barring Thibodeau being available. So um, I I guess Walker would be a little bit debatable for me too, because I I do like him. Um, But this would be a very, I think it's a very high floor pick and a very high ceiling pick and a position they could still get better at. So um, I would, I would love this pick. Yeah, and the one thing with these grades is it is without context because if they go Sauce Gardner at four and then at 10, let's say they land you know, Jermaine Johnson or whatever, right. and then they at 35, they get George Pickens or, or maybe they trade for A.J. Brown or something, you know, with their second round picks or something. It, it, if you're walking out of there with Sauce Gardner and edge rusher you like at 10 and a, and a veteran receiver you trade for, how do you not give it an A? I think for right now, just because of their huge issues at edge and receiver and the fact that if you take sauce, I think you have to sacrifice taking one unless you trade for a veteran receiver. I'll give I'll stick it a B plus, but I'm, I almost went with an A minus. I just didn't want to, I don't want to flood these picks with, you know, A's. I mean, I guess it is top five, so it, it would make sense. Uh, the other corner that is potentially in consideration here, this would be a shock. I think out of all the guys we're going to talk about, this would be the most shocking one. Well, maybe, maybe the next guy, but Derek Stingley, I don't see any way they take him at four, potentially at 10. I mean, I doubt that as well, but if, you know, if they really fall in love with the player, but this is a guy who's had major injury concerns. We haven't necessarily seen the level of play that he put up as a freshman. You know, I just doubt that the Jets would do this at four at the beginning of last year, you would have thought Derek Stingley to be a top five pick based off his reputation alone. Um, But if the Jets took him at four, I mean, I, I gave Evan Neal a D, so I'll go, I'll go with the D on Derek Stingley. I like the player, but there's just too many questions when it comes, comes to injuries um, and the production you've seen the last two years. I agree with you. I'm going to match you. Um, I'm also going to go with the D. Um, I kind of wanted to go lower, but I guess I could see the ceiling. But, you know, the injuries, the declining performance, not a fourth overall pick candidate for me. This next one's tough. Kyle Hamilton, safety. Notre Dame. I kind of want to give it an F if I'm being honest, but even though Kyle Hamilton's not an F rated player and I, we both know damn well, if they took Kyle Hamilton, we could talk ourselves into him being a unicorn. I love Kyle Hamilton. I just taking a safety top five. 
is brutal. It's like, because even if he's good, then you're going to have to pay him. And then you're allocating big money to safety. I mean, like, look, look what the Seahawks, the position of the Seahawks are in with, you know, money tied up to two safeties between Diggs and Adams. Um, I'd rather just be a team that has new safeties pretty much every year or every other year, whatever. Like you can just sign guys like Jordan Whitehead on the free agent market or draft guys in the second or third round. And I don't think you need to make a big investment here. But at the same time, Kyle Hamilton is a great player and a good fit in this defense. And it's hard to hate on adding good players. But at at four, I'd give it an F. At four, I'll give it an F because there's no way that there's not a better option on the board in my eyes. You know, either it's either you have Kayvon available, Hutchinson available, Walker available, Icom or Sauce. I mean, one of those guys is going to be available. So Kyle Hamilton to me seems like a, a reach and a bad allocation of resources. And in regards to what you said with the cap space, not only would it you know, be a long-term issue, but he would immediately be being paid as one of the higher paid safeties in the league. Um, Spot track projects that the fourth pick will have a 2022 cap at 6.7 million right now that would rank, uh, rank 16th among all safeties. So obviously you split that up into free safety, strong safety, it would be top 10 for that position. So yeah. it's, it's a big investment to take it up there. It's not a highly valued position in the league and that money should only really go to safeties who you know are huge difference makers like jordan poyer harrison smith those type of players well and look kyle hamilton has definitely the ability to do to be that i mean his draft profile would scream that he is going to be that especially you know i know he didn't run the the 40 time you'd like but his as you mentioned his relative athletic score is still very good he's obviously a, a complete freak physically He's long. He's big. He kind of reminds me a bit of Justin Simmons when I watch him. He, he can play the box. He can play deep. I mean, he, I like him. And we're going to come back to Kyle Hamilton because I think him at 10 is a lot different than at four. I wouldn't say I'd love it at 10, but I, I think I could get behind it at 10. At four, I just I, I can't really see any way that I, I can support it. We'll come back to Hamilton uh, in a little bit. Yeah, so uh, for my grade, I guess I'll, I'll go with a D minus. I don't want to go all the way to an F because I see some of the appeal, but it, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, and now for this, we just put, before we get to picks at 10, I think we've probably talked about whoever they'll pick it for. I, it, it's, we've probably touched on it, but the only other direction I could see him going at four would be taking a receiver. And we're going to talk individually about each receiver when we talk about picks at 10. But for right now, I think it's just more any receiver, because if they take a guy at four, if they take a receiver at four, it clearly means that's their number one guy. Cause there's no receiver that's going top three. Um, so how would you react, Michael? What grade would you give it? Just ignore the player. You plug in whoever your receiver number one is, whether it's Drake London or Jameson Williams or Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave, whatever it is, they feel like somebody's going to take him between five and nine. Uh, we love this player. He's our top rated guy on the board, whatever it is. If they took a receiver, what would your reaction be? Graded out of, you know, uh, eight and a half. Yeah, well, obviously the initial reaction just would just be surprised because we're not even considering this right now. So it would, it would be surprising, but it's important what you said earlier about the added context that comes later, because, you know, we have to see how the rest of this plays out. What are they missing out on by taking this risk of drafting this player at four that we thought would be there at 10, but uh, I would respect the aggression and their confidence in that particular player if they're taking him this high. So um, I, I, I think that the fact that, we, there are four receivers that we like in the first round. You know at least one, most likely two to three. 
will be there at the 10th pick. So I wouldn't love it for that reason, but I would respect that they're going to get their guy. So I'll go with the C, but it is contingent on the context of the rest of the draft, who they do end up with. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely contingent on, on the rest of the draft. And the only thing I would really like about it is like you said, it's like, all right, they're being aggressive. They clearly have a guy they like, but when you look at this receiver class, it's not as strong at the top as other receiver classes. I feel like all these guys are kind of similarly bunched together. In fact, you can make the argument that the Jets should trade down from 10 and they could still get a very good receiver uh, in the middle of the pack. So I really wouldn't like this. I'd give it, I'm going to give it a D. The only thing that like you said that I would, that would bring me back on it and be like, all right, well, they really like this player. They're trying to help out the young quarterback. You can't hate it too much. In fact, you know, I gave Evan Neal a D and Derek Stingley a D you know, I'll go D plus. Cause I think I would like it more than those picks. Um, but I, I would still be like, all right, I feel like you could just go for the best player of it. I doubt that a receiver would be the best player available at that, at that spot. So that's kind of the only reason I would be like, all right, you're reaching for a need very clearly. Um, but when we get to 10 and let's just start with the receivers, that changes things a lot. Let's start with Drake London, who seems to be the favorite um, out of the receivers at 10 for whatever reason. Um, what would you give London uh, if they took him at 10? I think, I think I'd go with the, um, I'm on the positive side here. Um, I'll go with the B plus. Uh, man, I might want to go a little bit higher because I do really like London. Um, I'll, I'll go with an A minus. I'm going to pump it up because I, I do like him quite a bit. I just think the combination of abilities, the yak, the the size, and then also good sharp route running in the short to intermediate range for a guy his size. I, I like the combination of tools. There's uh, questions with the athleticism and the injuries, but uh, I'd be very happy with that selection. So I'll go with an A minus. I think all these receivers are going to be similarly grouped for me and, and you know how I would grade them. I think it really comes down to their preference. I think there's only really a chance that maybe one of these guys is off the board, but for the most part, the Jets should have their pick of the litter at 10. And it really just comes down to what they're looking to add. Um, Cause there's really a guy who does everything. I think if they go with Drake London, that signifies to me, number one, for he's going to bring you a lot of manufactured yards, his yak by itself will help out this offense. But I think the number one reason you'd go with London, because he is a little bit outside of the archetype you would think for this LaFleur offense. Although, like you said, he's a better, he's a much better route runner than people give him credit for. Um, but the reason you would do it is because you saw what, what Zach Wilson did with Dax Milne at BYU. You've already seen Zach Wilson have success with this type of receiver. You haven't really seen him have the success with the, you know, the smaller Elijah Moore's, the Tyreek Hills. When you think of the, the, I think when Zach Wilson was drafted, we kind of saw this as uh, this offense taking off and Zach Wilson hitting those deep shots. And last year you didn't really see the deep ball production. Um, Maybe that's because he was missing a big bodied receiver to be able to throw it up to. Um, but also I think if you draft Drake London, I think you're giving him somebody in the intermediate range and in the short game that he can rely on consistently because like, like it's been mentioned with London is he's not just a big body jump ball receiver. He's also a big physical target that can move after the catch. I am concerned about the, the athleticism. I, he doesn't have the top end speed. This offense is really missing top end speed. You know, even between you look at Elijah Moore, He's a, he's a fast player, but he doesn't have that top extra gear, that Tyree kill gear. Even your running back, Michael Carter, love the player, but he doesn't have that extra gear. The Jets are missing that real burner. But if you love Drake London, bring in Drake London. I'm very confident that immediately he'll be able to help Zach Wilson in this offense. And then next year you can move on from Corey Davis and replace Corey Davis with more of the, the speedster. Um, because I think those type of receivers are maybe easier to get than a type of receiver like London. The injuries are concerning as well. If they take London at 10, I'll be pretty happy with it. 
I'll give it a B plus. I'll go a little bit lower than you, but that's not because I, I I'm lower on him than you. It's just, I think all these guys are going to be graded similarly, whoever they take, it'll just signify what the jets are looking for. Cause then right. if you go to the next guy with Jameson Williams, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add there on London, but if you go to Jameson Williams, uh, they would be taking him because they want to add that burner because they want to add that elite speed. And they've been very vocal, both the coaching staff and the front office has been very vocal about adding dynamic explosive playmakers and what having speed at receiver can do. And I think when they imagine this offense, when you look at what San Francisco did with Debo and Ayuk, they clearly value speed. They want guys who can, who can, you know, shorten your drives to one play, you know, just by giving them the ball and throwing them deep. You're not really getting that with Drake London, but a guy like Jamison Williams, I mean, that's a one play touchdown a lot of the time. So if they go with Jamison Williams, they want that burner, that elite speed. If they take him, the injury is a little a bit of a question mark. Some people are saying he'll be, he'll be ready by training camp. That's maybe his agents. Maybe that's a bit too optimistic. There's been some reports saying he won't be ready until November. I think that's probably on the conservative side. If you listen to, to what, you know, the reports have been about his, his progress. I'll say he should be ready by the start of the season, at least the first few weeks of the season. So I'll give it a B, but only for injuries. If you ignore the injury, Jamison Williams is probably my receiver number one in this class, in which case I would give this pick an A. Uh, and who knows? Maybe the injury is a blessing in disguise because I don't know if he'd make it to 10 if he didn't get injured. So right. I'll, I'll, I'll give it I'll give it a – you know, I'll stick with a B plus. I'll go exactly what I did with London because, as I said, it really just comes down to what the Jets' preference is. It's not what my preference is. It's what are they looking to do. I think Drake London gives you something different, but I think the you know you have to be happy with either player. Yeah, I agree with what you said about, you know, leaning towards the preference because I'm on the same page as you in terms of not really – I mean, London's my favorite, but I, accounting for personal bias just based on what I like, they're definitely all in the same tier, I think, all four of these guys, um, London, Williams, Alave, and Garrett Wilson. So, obviously, with this pick here, which will presumably be between multiple choices, it'll – be a preference of what they're looking for, like you said. So I'm I'm gonna kind of copy that and I'm gonna grade all these wide receivers the same. So I'll go with an A minus for James and Williams. But um but yeah I'm not, I agree. Hey, I'm not grading them all the same, but I just think I, Chris Olave is, is up next. We're gonna talk about him. I think they'll mostly be the same, but I do have my own preferences and who I think is is better. I just oh, think yeah. I, I think for these two guys I'm gonna put them yeah. the same because I'm I'm close with these two. I mean Spoiler alert, I'm probably going to go a little bit lower at the next couple. Um, but uh, these two, I'll go the same. And uh, most of them will be in, in the same range because of because of what you mentioned. Now, this next guy is very interesting, and nobody talks about him as a pick of 10. And uh, most years, Michael, especially when you get to round two and beyond, but it seems like that they, there's always a wild card. Now, the Jets have, have been picking at the top of drafts over the last few years, so it's been fairly easy to predict. Like, okay, okay, they're going to take Zach Wilson. We kind of knew that. Um but Chris Olave is a guy who really does stand out to me. And I know some people would be shocked if he was the pick of 10, but this is a guy who's been extremely productive all four years. Um, he is a Joe Douglas guy in terms of he was a captain, had a, a relative athletic score above nine. He's an elite route runner, arguably the best in the class. He's a separator. He's, he ran a 4-2-2. And I think, and I was talking to Michael about this, I think sometimes when you have a guy in college who's just been producing year after year, kind of gets overshadowed a little bit. He's not the brand new shiny thing. I mean, I, I, I remember reading about Chris Olave in last year's mock drafts before he decided to go back to Ohio State. He broke out very early at Ohio State, which, Michael, I know you could talk about next a little bit. And that's a very, it's a good sign in terms of how they'll develop in the NFL. He would be a guy that would not shock me. if they. The, it's very close for me between him and Jamison. Jamison has that elite 
game breaking speed. Olave is not much, not much slower than him. And in fact, they were on the same team and Olave played over Jamison Williams. If you want to you know, fact that in Ohio state also had Joe Burrow as like the third string quarterback. So you can't really factor that in too much, but I'm close between Olave and Williams with the injury. I could maybe be convinced Olave is better. Olave is certainly the more refined route runner, but Jamison might give you slightly more speed, but again, Olave ran the four, two, two. So you know what? I'll, I'm going to stick. This is the last time I'll do this, but I'm going to, I'm going to give the B plus to Olave as well. And I know that might be surprising to people. And if he gets taken, some people might be shocked, but if you don't think Chris Olave is in contention to 10, you're wrong. I guarantee you that it, it just really comes down to what they're looking at. If they're trying to add speed and route running, you go with Chris Olave. If you want game breaking elite speed, you go with Jamison Williams. If you want yak and you want a big body receiver for Zach Wilson, which is something we've seen him had success with, you go with Drake London. And then if you want, the next guy we'll talk about, but I know you want to talk about Chris Olave. If you want uh, route running and yak, maybe you go with Garrett Wilson. It just really depends on what you're looking for. Um, but Olave really, I think, brings the best of both worlds when it comes to that game-breaking speed. But he's also an amazing route runner, which is probably the two traits you look at when you look at the archetype for receivers in the scheme. Yeah, I agree with you. He's definitely, definitely in play at this spot um, for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. Um, I'm going to go a half grade lower than my other options. I'll go with the, a B plus, but, um, uh, but I agree with you. He's definitely in play for me. I'm just going a little bit lower because I think the, uh, like I said, I like a lot of what London brings Jameson Williams. I think his deep speed is probably the best individual trait of any of these receivers. Right. Um, and then a lot of they, like you said, brings all those things to the table, but I'm a, a little bit skeptical of, his ability to break tackles. Yeah. Um, production wasn't obviously he was competing against other guys, but not the most amazing production didn't show the most progress with his production, but what is good about his production in college is the consistency of it. Like you said, he was around making plays for a long time. Um, really since 2019 for three years in a row, he was a top tier producer and that's an important trait for receivers is their breakout age. Um, how young they are when they're first a major contributor to their offense. And he was only barely over 19 years old um, in 2019 when he first became a top tier producer. And that's a great signal for future success. When you break out that young um, Drake London also has that um, I believe Jameson Williams does too. So uh, I like a lot about Chris Olave. I would enjoy uh, be a big fan of that pick. Um, I'll go with the B plus. Yeah, he does. He does really strike me as a Douglas guy. I, Drake London does team sound captain. like a, he, he checks team that captain, box. Team captain Drake London. The name just sounds like a jet, and maybe that's just because they're trying to expand into the UK. Chris Olave doesn't necessarily sound <laughs> like a jet, um, but I, I really think he's in contention at ten. I, I just everything that's on paper about him, he's just one of those guys that I think is just going under the radar because he's kind of been in the spotlight for a few years now. People are, are forgetting him, um, but. I think Olave is definitely in consideration at 10. Um, now, Garrett Wilson, his teammate at Ohio State, he also is an amazing route runner. I think it's a toss-up between Wilson and Olave. Who's the better route runner? I would go with Olave, but Wilson is a very good route runner in his own right. And what Wilson brings you that Olave doesn't is yards after catch. Because Olave will bring you yards after the catch, but that's usually, from what I've seen, is just due to his speed. Whereas Garrett Wilson can break tackles. Um, if the Jets took Garrett Wilson at 10, I mean, a lot of people have him as their consensus uh, number one receiver. Uh, I, I'd probably go with a B. And the only reason I would go a little bit lower than these other guys is I just feel like 
the Jets kind of already have what he would bring in Elijah Moore in terms of a great route runner and a guy you, you like after the catch. Whereas I feel like if you go with Olave, you get that game-breaking speed, that deep ball, which you can get with Elijah Moore, but that's actually not really what his specialty is. It's why the Jets, if you listen to a lot of people, see Elijah Moore as a slot because he's, you know, crisp route runner. He's going to get anything under 20 yards. You really got to like it. Uh, and he can break tackles. He can go deep, but that's maybe a Jameson Williams or a Chris Olave. Garrett Wilson, a little too similar to me, uh, to Elijah Moore. So I'll give it a B. I'll go with the B plus, same as Chris Olave. Um, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think there might be a little bit more redundancy here in terms of what they already have. Um, but the player still has a lot of potential. Um, Joe Blewett has went over this in his film review at JetX of Wilson, but um, there there is a little bit more refinement needed to the route running. A lot of it is a little bit in terms of his movements, kind of elongated and exaggerated in terms of his break steps and things like that. And you know, it obviously worked in college and gives him great potential because of how quick and sharp he is. But uh, against better corners in the NFL, might need to be a little bit tighter. So I think there is um, maybe that aspect needs a little bit more growth than maybe given credit for, but obviously he still has great speed, yak ability. I, I like these four receivers and yeah. I definitely want to see them get one, one of them at 10. So I'll go with the B plus. I like London and Williams the most, even considering uh, the injuries, which is a little bit of a change. Cause I know our last podcast, I wasn't as high in Williams, but I've come around a little bit. Um, so those two are my favorite, just a slight bit above Alave and Williams, but I like all four in Wilson, um, but I like all four. And again, I would trust that they're picking the the skill set that they like the most for their offense. Like you said, the last guy we have to consider here uh, when you look at the receivers at 10 is Traylon Burks. And I, I don't think he'll be in consideration at 10. Uh, I think he became a little bit of a, a draft darling for a, little, a few months ago. When you look at his highlights, he obviously has a lot of traits that you like, but um, I think the more people have looked into his film, his route running needs a lot of work. He's just, he's very raw. And it's just, it's, it's a tough buy at 10 when you need immediate receiver help for your young receiver, for your young quarterback. Um, and he played a lot in the slot. He had a lot of free releases. I mean, he's just going to, he's a guy who needs a lot of refinement. Obviously you love uh, what he can do at the catch point. You love what he could do after the catch. He is a versatile guy. You could probably use him like a Debo Samuel, but I just think his, his route running and his general receiving trades just needs too much refinement for the Jets to rely on him at 10 um, because they didn't go after a veteran. So if they took Traylon Burks, uh, I'll give it, I'll give it a D. I mean, a part of me would be excited because he's an exciting player, but I just think that there are better receivers uh, that they could go with at 10. I agree. This is a D for me. I think, he kind of uh, with his pre-draft process, you know, the combine and also people just kind of collectively analyzing the player closer versus the beginning of the draft process where, you know, people haven't gone into it as much. Um, It wasn't a good process for him. I don't think he's a player worthy of this pick. Um, Athleticism, not as good as we thought it was going to be pretty low RAS at a 5.82. And on film, I think, you mentioned a lot of the stuff that's concerning about him, but uh, also like his effort isn't great. You see him not try on block sometimes, which is not going to fly in this game. So uh, would not, I'm, I'm actually, mm, should I go lower? Yeah, I'll, I'll go F. This is my first F. All right. Well, wow. You're being a little bolder. I mean, I, I feel like he's, he's a guy who has exciting traits, but like you said, I just, I really don't see it. We almost didn't even put him here at 10, but you know, just, 
we, we don't want to say anybody that, or we don't want to not talk about somebody they could potentially pick. I'm, I'm actually going to upgrade it back to D because I'll watch uh, some highlights. Be like, hey, you know what? Eh, I'll, I'll have that sort of sort of thing going on. It's all coming. So. We, we already know that's coming next week. Going um, with the D here. All right. When you look at the defensive backs here, uh, Sauce Gardner, there's a chance he makes it to 10. I mean, a lot of people have, I mean, I, in my mock, I had him going three to the Texans. Um, but there's a chance if he slips past the Giants that he could make it to 10. Um, if he made it to the 10 and the Jets got him, I, I think I give this an A plus. Um, even with the need at receiver, look, you have two seconds, you can maybe make a move for veteran, trade back into the first, take a guy at 30, whatever it is, but you have to draft best player available. And Sauce Gardner at 10 is, is unequivocally the best player available uh, in my eyes. I agree. This is this would be incredible value. Um, it's a it's an A plus. Now, Derek Stingley at 10, it's a little, it's a lot different for me. Because at 10, I mean, this is a guy who the ceiling on Derek Stingley is incredibly high. Uh, and the, again, his freshman season, which is what everybody talks about, is, is among the best ever seen from a, a, a college cornerback. The last year is a little bit a smaller dip in production. He's battle injuries. They take him at 10. I'll, I'll go B minus um, because I, I like the player a lot. And if they take him, clearly they believe um, in his abilities and his, in his, his, Injury report, not not major red flags or anything. So I'll give it a B minus. But you know what? I might go low. I'm gonna go C plus actually because I just feel like I, I think for me at, at corner, it's pretty much either sauce or nothing um, in round one. Um, otherwise, I feel like you can just go invest in corner later in the draft um, because I, I I'm comfortable with the room right now between Reed and Hall and Michael Carter the second. So I'll go C plus for Stingley. I'm gonna go with the C. I was thinking of going with the B because I think the ceiling here is maybe probably higher than any other player taking here. But I just like these receivers too, because obviously in this scenario, you took an edge rusher at four or, or a receiver, but most likely not that it was probably an edge rusher or a lineman. Um, so in this scenario, the receiver is still a need. And I like those prospects too much for me to take the risk of Stingley, but at the same time, the, the ceiling is uh, ex- the risk is acceptable for the ceiling here. I just prefer other options. Uh, so I could understand it, but uh, not my preference. So I'll go see. Now we just put other cornerback for this next one. And I guess the guys you'd be considering here, are Andrew Booth and Trent McDuffie, and not to be uh, disrespectful to those guys, because I- I've seen plenty of, I've seen those guys go in top 10 in mocks. It's very possible that they could be the number one player on the Jets board when, when, 10 rolls around, but I think it's just a non sauce Gardner, Derek Stingley corner. That would be very out of left field, but definitely in consideration here, Michael, I'll go to you first. How would you grade it if they took one of the two? And maybe you have a different grade for each one, but if they, if they went with a non Stingley Gardner corner, how would you feel? Uh, I'm going to go to C minus. I think it's uh, maybe I should go lower than that because again, I just like the receiver talent. Um, and also the edge talent here. Um, oh, well, again, in the scenario, I guess you're not considering that. But um, I, I just – I there's probably a higher four with both of these guys than Stingley. Um, but, man, just I don't – I like the receivers too much to be taken cornering. I know you don't want to lean towards need, but I don't think either of them are – they're good prospects, but um, probably more mid to late talents where I like the receivers enough to consider them as – 10th pick worthy talents so i'll go c minus 
Yeah, I'll go C. And the only reason I went a little higher than you here is because I don't want to fall into the trap of giving a lower grade to a guy that I haven't really looked too much into and maybe not the ideal need that I would fill here. Because if they fall in love with Andrew Booth or Trent McDuffie and they have them as a top 10 player on their board and that they have them as the number two corner on their board behind sauce and whatever it is, if they really fall in love with one of these guys, that's the only way they take one at 10 in my eyes. They're not reach, you know, it's like they're not taking them uh, just because that's the, uh, you know, common sentiment among uh, draft nets is that they should take this, this position or this player. It would be out of left field. If they really love one of these guys, I'll give it a C. I, I wouldn't be like wowed by it, but I, I have no doubt that if they took one of these guys and I start looking into them, I could, kind of hype myself up about it, but I'm not expecting if they don't go with sauce, I don't expect for them to go corner until day two. Um, and maybe even, maybe they wait till day three. If they're, you know, last year they waited till day three to even get one guy and they didn't even have a guy like DJ Reed uh, or Michael Carter, the second or Brandon Eccles or anybody. I mean, they, they really just were completely barren and they saved it all the way to day three. So I, I think you could see a similar draft strategy now that they have a cornerback room they're more comfortable with, but I'll, I'll give it a C for now. Kyle Hamilton, the other DB I wanted to talk about. At four, I hate it. At 10, again, the context of, okay, did they trade for a veteran receiver? Because if they take, let's say they get cave on at four, they trade 35 and 38 for fill in veteran receiver, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, whoever it is. And then they take Kyle Hamilton at 10. I know we don't love the positional value safety, but it's very possible that he's the number one guy on their board. Um, I know we don't want to invest that much in the safety, but if he's the number one guy on your board, you've seen, what the safety position has done for Buffalo, um, the way the league has gone, throwing deep. I mean, maybe it's not the worst idea to have a great safety play. I'll go B minus here um, because I, the positional value safety is really a tough pill to swallow here, especially since it's the exact pick they gave up for Jamal Adams. But hey, maybe trading Jamal Adams and getting back Kyle Hamilton and AVT is not the worst trade in the world. So I don't know. I'll give it a B minus, but. I would be more partial taking receiver, but I'm trying to fight the, the need based evaluation. I'll, I'll agree with you and go with the B minus. Uh, I'd be okay with it at this spot. Not the most thrilling because I think there are some questions, not necessarily slam dunk pick, but um, they do still need a safety. They only have one, uh, you know, solid starter with Whitehead. So uh, still need a long-term option and a, a starter for this year next to him. Uh, obviously, they have Joiner to compete for that, but uh, you can upgrade, I think. So um, still a need, and I think the talent is uh, more feasible as a 10th pick. Uh, yeah, and then lastly, I put Daxon Hill here. I, I very much doubt that they would take Daxon Hill at 10, but a lot of people have seen him rise and have had him. I've seen him a lot as a top 15 pick. So just I'll throw him in here. I gave it a D. We don't spend too much time on him, but um, if they took Daxon Hill, I imagine you probably wouldn't be as pleased as Hamilton. Yeah, I agree with you on a D. It would just be out of left field, I think. All right, now looking at the edge rushers at 10, so I guess for this, assume that they went with either a sauce or a receiver or somebody at four, offensive linemen. Um, there's the edge rusher we put here at 10, Jermaine Johnson and George Karlaftis. Uh, I think it goes without saying, if they got a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau at 10, it's an A+. Let's just assume those guys are gone. Jermaine Johnson at 10, Michael, what are you giving him? I am with the B here. I think it makes a lot more sense at this point. Um, yeah, I just think the talent at number 10 is a, a better match for his skill set than the fourth pick. And obviously, um, at this point, you've probably taken sauce at four or O-line or something else. So you still have that need at edge. Uh, I think the pick makes sense here. Don't uh, love the prospect, so I won't go higher than a B, but I do like him at this spot. 
Now, peeking at your notes, and before I, I see that you have George Karlaftis as an A. So clearly, you like Karlaftis more than Johnson. Yes. Uh, I guess explain your your rationale there. I feel like with Karlaftis, I'm, what intrigues me about him is the fact that you know he has high floor traits and his strength, his run defense, his power, ability of you know to hold ground more so. I want to differ, differentiate between those two things. Strength, I'm talking more like bull rushing. I, I mean, I guess they're the same thing, but uh, those two adjectives. But um, but he he can bull rush. He can hold his ground against the run. Um, so he has like those high floor sort of traits. But obviously, the question is more so the ceiling. But the reason I'm intrigued about him is because he's one of the youngest prospects, not even 21 years old yet, and he's raw to the game. You know, having come over from Greece as a teenager, um, didn't really start playing it until high school. So younger prospect, raw in the sport. I think that gives him a lot of upside that he might not be given credit for. Um, And his athleticism is pretty good, too. His vertical jump and broad jump were great. Um, That's obviously a good sign for explosiveness. His shuttle was good. So uh, he I think he's a lot more potential than people give him credit for. In addition to the floor, we know he has. Um, I like his fit to sort of um, take that JFM role in this defense, kick JFM inside, and then Carl Eftis on the edge can set the edge and play the run just as well, but also have more pass rush juice. Um, I really like Carl Eftis at 10. That's one of my favorite possibilities uh, for the Jets in this draft. So I'm going to go with an A. Yeah, if they miss out on the edge, I I. I... I hear the Karlaftis hype. I, I, the difference in my reaction between him and Jermaine Johnson wouldn't be that much, but I agree that I think Karlaftis is getting underrated and I think he would be a fantastic fit here. I'd like him slightly more than, than Jermaine Johnson. I gave Karlaftis a B plus and Jermaine Johnson a B. Um, I like both prospects. Um, I, I think it would be surprising if they took Karlaftis over Jermaine Johnson, especially since they had the senior bowl with Johnson. But the, the more I've looked into George Karlaftis, it's hard not to like him, especially um, at 10. Uh, now, potential offensive linemen at 10. This would be, again, out of left field. We could fly through some of these because these are the less likely uh, of, of the options at 10. In our mock draft that we did, I think, last week, we had Ike McWanu going at 9 to the Seahawks. So I very much doubt that he would make it to 10. But just you know, just to be sure, if the Jets got Ike McWanu at 10, assuming they got a, an address at 4, you can't hate on the pick. Um, I would give it an A. Evan Neal? If he fell to 10, which I don't, I don't expect to happen at all. I, I guess I'd give it a, I don't really like Evan Neal that much. I'll, I'll give it a B minus, I guess I would say. I mean, Evan Neal at 10 is tremendous value, but I don't necessarily love the player. Um, I realized I didn't really give you a, a chance to respond. So Equano and Neal, if those guys somehow make it to 10, how would you grade them? Equano is a hard one here because talent lies is just an amazing value. I still don't love the, the position, but oh, I guess on. you can't you can't overrate the need. So I'll I'll go with an A minus. Yeah, I'll okay. go with an A minus. As long For as Neil, it's an a. Neil, I'll do C plus. Eh, C. I don't like Neil. How would you feel about now? This guy. This is a guy who I, I was talking about on Twitter yesterday. Trevor Penning, who. I've seen a lot top fifteen in mocks. I've seen him go nine to the Seahawks. I mean a lot of the media falls in love with Trevor Penning. And I think part of it is because you see those clips of him at the senior bowl, just throwing defensive ends uh, around. And so he gets tagged at that. always oh, nasty. And I'm sure he is. And he definitely has traits that, that you would like his athleticism. I think his, his future could potentially be at guard. Um, I, I like Trevor Penning. 
but I don't, if, I, if I'm being completely honest, I, I don't like the, I don't like Trevor. Pen- I hate Trevor Penning at 10. Um, and I think he's a good example of a guy who the media rates extremely highly. And then he can surprisingly fall out of the first round or at least have a big draft day slide because the more I watch him, I I'm not impressed. I see him getting beat off the ball a lot. And I think that whole nastiness of throwing a defensive end around is all fine and dandy until you throw him into your quarterback and your quarterback tears his ACL or, or maybe you're in practice and you throw Carl Lawson and he tears his other Achilles or whatever, like that whole nastiness thing. That's not really, you're not really finishing the rep or, or helping. I, there's a time and a place for it. Makai Becton, I think, is very good at it. Ike McWanu has been very good at it of, of when to launch, you know, defensive players uh, and throw them around. But the way Trevor Penning does it, a lot of times it's like he loses a rep, he holds on, and then he just wrestles under the ground. And that's not really impressive to me. At 10, it's an absolute F for me. At 35, if he fell all the way there, which I know sounds surprising, and maybe it won't be Trevor Penning, but I guarantee you there will be somebody who's available at 35 that nobody thought would be available. If he's there at 35, uh, I would maybe give it a C or something, but a 10, it's an absolute F. Uh, and Charles Cross for me, just for the sake of time, uh, at 10, that's a, a D for me. I mean, he, he's a good player. I like him more than Penning, so I'm not going to put him as an F, but I don't like, I don't like the, the value of Charles Cross at 10. Even though he's a great player, you can't hate on it too much, but he's uh, with the need and, and everything we've talked about with the other guys, I just, I just don't like it. How do you see Penning and, and Charles Cross at 10? Yeah, these would be the two picks, which I'm glad we included because surprising stuff does happen um, and you got to be ready for it. So I guess these are the two most remote possibilities. Penning is a clear F for me. That'd be atrocious. I I don't I don't see him as a top 10 talent in general. And, you know, I've explained my thoughts on picking an O-lineman. And I mean, he had 16 penalties last year against FCS competition. So that's just a no for me. Um, Cross is like you said. Much I just better don't than, see it. I, I, why yeah, is, I don't, why is I don't Trevor Penning it. a top fifteen player on most boards? Uh, I I think we're going to see the league not be as high on him because pretty much again I haven't watched every single snap of his career or anything, but all I've seen is him just you know a tough guy act that's not actually good football. So um, he's no good to me. Charles Cross is is better than him. <laughs> But uh, still, still, I don't see as a 10th pick option, so D minus. All right, and then before we get to the second rounders, here are the, the other out-of-left field guys they could potentially go with. I'll be shocked. If they take somebody at 10 that we haven't talked about here, I'll be utterly shocked. But just to mention, and we'll start with Devin Lloyd, who I think is is on the board here. I mean, we know Saul loves his linebackers. I think he is still – I know there's C.J. Mosley, and I know they like Quincy Williams, but I think he is still looking for his Fred Warner. Devin Lloyd, you love his versatility. I think he's established himself ahead of N'Kobe Dean as the top linebacker in this class. We didn't really include N'Kobe Dean. We have him as maybe one of the guys who could fall to the second, which would be awesome if N'Kobe Dean would be available at 35. I just don't think he's in consideration at 10, so let's not consider him. Um, Devin Lloyd, if they took him at 10, it'd be tough not to be excited about the player because Devin Lloyd is one of my favorite players in this class. But And we know teams don't draft for needs, so I'm trying not to, to skew it too much. But if they took Devin Lloyd... Uh, I'll, I'll go B minus. I love the player. That's the only reason it's high. The, the positional value, it's tough, but you know, you saw the impact that Micah Parsons had last year, obviously. Well, actually it's a fairly similar defense. And I think Devin Lloyd could play a similar role where he does blitz a lot. Um, I think he would be an impactful player year one. And I think you're getting a good football player. So I'm not going to hate on it too much. I'll go to B minus. 
Yeah, I, I actually wouldn't hate this, um, even though we're not talking about it, just because I think linebacker is, A, a bigger need for this team than given credit for, and B, a more important position in general. So I would not hate this pick, actually, but uh, still wouldn't love it just because I think, like I said, I like the wide receivers. So, um, And also the age is a little bit concerning. He's 24, which is which is a lot for a first round pick. Ah, that's um, tough. I forgot he's 24. So, uh, and when you Google it, sometimes it comes up that he's 36. So <laughs> at least it's not that, um, but he's 24. Probably a different um, Devin Lloyd. Most likely. Um, but I mean, McCagnan would still pick him though. That's for sure. It is, it is uh, tough to, to talk about a 24-year-old linebacker as pick 10. Yeah. So I'll, I'm going to uh, go with C plus, but I like the player and I, I I'm – I see it as a bigger need than than most do, so I'll go with C plus. And also, he is a, a Joe Douglas guy with a relative athletic score and being a team captain. And he played with the national team at the Senior Bowl, so that I'll stuff keep is it, there. I'll keep it as a, as a B minus, partially because I think if Saul is taking him, if Saul and Douglas are taking him, they clearly love the prospect. They see him as their next Fred Warner or Micah Parsons or whatever, and I, and I would expect him to have an impact year one, so I'm not going to hate it. But like you said, there, there are a lot of red flags there. The only other guy that I think that we haven't talked about that they could potentially take a 10 would be Jordan Davis, which would be completely out of left field. I got to be honest, I really wouldn't like this pick. I, Jordan Davis is, is a great player. Um, I'm going to go D minus on this. I just... Uh, it's hard because Jordan Davis is is a, a good player, and I think interior defensive line is a need for this team. It is a valuable p- position. I just think when you look at the allocation of resources on this team and the needs that they have and the players that are going to be in the board here at 10, I just think you can go a different area than Jordan Davis. That's not to say they shouldn't circle back to defensive tackle on day two, but at 10, D minus. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the D. I, I agree. I'm, I see defensive tackles a need. I think they're going to take one in the second round but at this position with this player um the potential is great but this is a guy who didn't show a lot of pass rushing ability um in in college so there's a lot of development there the the floor is good i think but uh you're drafting him here drafting him here what you're getting is for now just a two down run stuffer i think this team is in a position where it needs more than that in terms of the floor and the certainty of what you're getting. Yeah. Let's, let's look at the second rounders and we'll, we can start with the defensive tackles because I, I think this is where you'll see if the jets go with the, an interior defensive lineman, I think day two is when you want to start looking at it. Um, Cause there's a lot of guys in this, this area. We, we put four here. We did put Davis. I highly doubt he would last until 35. If he does, I'd give this pick an A. I like Jordan Davis. I'd give him an A even for some of the things that you talked about. I don't expect him to be there at 35, but look, if, if a team doesn't want to burn a first round pick on a, you know, a two down interior defensive lineman, maybe he falls 35. I don't see him getting past some of the contenders, um, but I would give him an A. Um, how, quickly, how would you feel about Jordan Davis at 35? Yeah, I think that would be an A plus. I, I don't see it happening. Yeah. Uh, his teammate, Devontae Wyatt, is a lot more likely. Uh, how would you feel about Wyatt? I mean, how do you think he compares to Davis uh, and what grade would you give him at 35? Yeah, he, he's interesting in this spot because I think the talent and the, the skill is exactly what they're looking for. But to circle back to age, like we talked about with Lloyd, um, he's 24. So uh, another questionable pick in the age department. But uh, skill set wise, I think he checks a lot of boxes in terms of two-way ability. Uh, he, he is probably more productive 
overall than Davis was actually, which again, I guess you expect because he's two, three years older, but um, I'll go with B considering the age. Yeah, I'll go. I think B is a fair grade for him. Um, I, I like the player, like you said, but uh, the age knocks him down a peg for me. Um, Travis Jones, who I think is a, a very clear Douglas guy. There's a lot of connections between the senior bowl captain athletic score fit in this defense. I think he's a guy to definitely keep your eye out for. Uh, how would you feel about him at, at 35 or 38? Yeah, I think this is an A for me. A lot of boxes checked. Team captain. Um, the athleticism is great. I think he plays the role that you want, you know, more an interior guy, uh, sort of that fully role, one tech, two eye tech, um, can stop the run, still has pass rush upside. Um, not super old. I think he's 22. So uh, he checks a lot of boxes. Really like him here. Uh, yeah, I'll give I'll give an A to Travis Jones as well. I think he just makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then the last defensive tackle, Perrion Winfrey, who won Senior Bowl MVP, playing in this exact same system. Sounds like he should be available at 35, 38. He's a guy to definitely keep your eye out for. Uh, who do you uh, – clearly, I, I think you prefer Travis Jones over Perrion Winfrey, but how do you feel about uh, Winfrey's fit with the Jets? What would you grade him? Yeah, I, I think the fit is good. Um, I guess my concern versus Jones is um, looking at some of his – numbers it, he's not as balanced two-way i think the pass rush upside is probably better um but the run defense does seem to be a question looking at his production in that phase so not as good of a two-way player and uh need wise i don't think it is as much of uh what they need and in terms of finding a place where he'll fit on the line and get immediate snaps this year um so i think jones is a better fit for the need uh but winfrey does have good pass rush upside so i'll go with the b minus all right let's go to the safeties which i think is a very likely position for the jets to address in the second round uh i guess we'll start with Louis Cine, who has, has risen up draft boards i don't expect him to be available at 35 or 38 but if he was i'm going to give this pick an a i think he is outside of daxton hill who i guess we'll talk about next uh is the best safety that the jets could take when you look at his, his fit um, and what the Jets are looking for uh, in their safeties. I- I'd give CNA an A. Yeah, I agree. Just just looking at um, where his stock is trending, it doesn't seem like he'll be here. So he'll be that type of pick where we're rooting for the fall for a while. So it'll have that exciting element to it. So I agree. I'll go with an A. All right. So an A for scene. And then uh, for Daxon Hill, uh, I-, I don't I don't expect him to make it here, but especially I don't, I don't expect him to make it past the lions who have a huge needed safety at the top of the second. And they have two picks in this area. So I think one of these safeties is going to go off the board here. Um, I don't expect him to be here, but again, I think you have to give uh, a similar grade to see. I'll give an A I'll give an A to Daxon Hill. Either of those safeties. I, I think you have to give an A to. Yep. I agree. I would go with an A. Now Brisker is the guy who I do think very possible he could be on the board. He's now he's now he's more of a box safety. That's not to say he can't play coverage. Um, he could find success in this defense, but I think with the Jets already having Jordan Whitehead, who is not just a pure box safety, but probably better utilized closer to the line of scrimmage. I think I kind of see Brisker in a similar role. So for that reason, I'll give this a B minus. But he does check a lot of the boxes athletically. Um, and he's a still a damn good football player. I just, if they, if they feel like they can make it work between him and Whitehead, I'd just be worried about not really having a coverage focused, uh, safety, uh, starting out there. Yeah, I agree. That's a little bit of the concern, but, um, he is another Joe Douglas guy in terms of being a team captain and having the 
top tier athleticism, 9.14 RIS. So um, does check those boxes. Um, I agree with your concerns. I think it's good, a good talent value though. So I'll go, uh, I'll go with an A minus. Uh, and then the other safety we listed, we went with Jalen Petrie, who I think would be a reach here at 35 or 38. Um, but you never know. They had him in the senior bowl. He had a good performance. Uh, I'll give him a C because I think, you know, I, I would prefer one of these other safeties. But if they have him as, as the guy they like, you know, so be it. But I'll give it a C. Yeah, I think uh, I analyzed some of the numbers of all the top safeties, and he had the highest missed tackle rate of any of uh, Take the top board. top seven safeties I looked at, Hamilton, Hill, uh, top six, Hamilton, Hill, Seen, Brisker, uh, and Petre, or at least at those top five. He had the highest missed tackle rate, uh, and he played the fewest deep safety snaps. So um, at least based on those things, I don't think he's my favorite safety here, so I'll go with the C. All right, so that knocks out the safeties and the defensive tackles. The other positions, and I know it doesn't work like this, but the other positions that could go, well, let's go to the linebacker core first because we've already talked about two of these guys. Actually, we didn't really talk about Nicobe Dean. I think Nicobe Dean for me is, I don't want to say my, you know what I will say? I think he is my dream scenario for somebody falling to 35 or 38 because I think he's a guy who's hyper productive, uh, definitely can contribute in this. I mean, his, his instincts at linebacker is second to none in this class. I think the reason he's going to fall is due to his size. I mean, people don't love an undersized linebacker. Um, he's because of his size, he's not, he's going to cross himself off for pretty much every single three, four team, unless you want to be like the jets who took Darren Lee and then tried to force him to be a three, four inside linebacker. But I think if you have a four, three and you have Nicobe Dean, you allow him to play in space and, and rely off his instincts and his play recognition. And, you know, he watch him in that national championship game and he flew around the football um, he's a damn good football player and he's just a guy I'm hoping falls just due to teams having size concerns and, and preferring to go somewhere else. Um, I would give him an A. I mean, him and Lloyd, um, I think are, are both A's for me. I guess Lloyd's uh, maybe an A plus, but uh, I think the Kobe Dean is, is the dream scenario for me uh, in, in round two. Yeah. I'd, I'd give this an A plus at this spot. I, I love the Kobe Dean. I don't see why he isn't being more highly regarded his production is incredible just across the board. It's tackling, coverage, run defense, blitzing, just incredible efficiency everywhere. And it, he backs it up when you watch it. He, I have watched a decent amount of him, and he does back up all those things you see in the numbers just with his, uh, his instincts and his reactivity and ability to finish plays. Um, he's one of my favorite prospects. So if they could get him here, uh, I would be a huge fan of it. That would definitely I – would, I would have a very – uh, I'd have a vocal reaction to this one. I'd love this. Yeah, me too. I, I imagine, I imagine Devin Lloyd would also be an A plus for you. Yeah, I'm, yeah. At this spot, I'll go with an A plus. I, I don't think I'm. I'm not as big of a Lloyd fan as a Dean fan, but here I think both players are A plus values. The last linebacker we put here, and again, this is where it's like they could go if they fall in love with a different linebacker. They could go, you know, elsewhere. I put Chad Muma here. I think he's probably the, the leading number three linebacker. There's been a lot of connections between him and the Jets. My, how would you feel about Chad Muma uh, in round two? Yeah, I think this one right now is kind of the toughest to gauge because it feels like his value a couple months ago was more in that fourth, third round range, and he's just skyrocketing right now. So, I mean, I guess if he went here, you would have to understand that, you know, he probably legitimately deserves it. Um, so, there's there's a lot to like with him. I think a lot of Jets fans have 
kind of identified identified him as a fan favorite. Um, he's got the team captain status, the athleticism, senior bowl connection. Um, seems to be a really good off-the-field guy. Um, and most of all, I think he brings coverage skills. I was looking at some of the linebacker analytics, and he does have a little bit more, uh, more of a question mark in terms of tackling and run defense, but the coverage is uh, top-notch. So and I think that's the most important thing that, that they need out of these guys. So uh, I would – I'd be a pretty – I, I like that a lot. Not quite as obviously the other two are, I think, first round talents. So um, they would be A pluses. Muma, not quite, but I'd still be a huge fan. I'll go A minus. All right. And then when you look at the corners, and this is a position now, if they, they could go and attack at a 35 or 38, obviously, if they don't get a sauce or a Stingley. Uh, for me, I, I only really see him going corner if a guy like a Booth or a McDuffie fell. Um, I guess first, how would you how would you grade? Uh, you know, we'll start with Andrew Booth. I, I doubt he gets a thirty five. I, I, in fact, I see really no path for him to hit thirty five. But if he hit thirty five, how would you grade it? Um, I think uh, I'm going to be completely honest. I did not hear which guy you just said. Andrew Booth. Looking... Andrew Booth. Sorry. Okay. okay. We've all. Been um. There. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think it would be a good value here. I'm going to go with. I'll go with an A. The value is good. Because I think we're talking about a lot of those guys right now where and we talked about the high second round and how valuable it can be. I think when you talk about Booth, Dean, Lloyd, Scene, Hill, these are some of those players where they kind of make that slide like Elijah Moore did last year. And it's something you don't even consider pre-draft, but that just kind of happens because some players get reached for in that late first and they yeah. slip. So I think these guys are candidates for that. Uh, Booth, I would give an A that value yeah. here. I don't, I don't see Booth making it to thirty-five. McDuffie, maybe. It may, I mean, again, very unlikely. I would give McDuffie an A. I think, like you said, you can't really just grade on positional value. You just have to think about who are the best players. Are the Jets getting? You, you we talked about it a lot. How that top of the second round is great because good players fall. So you just have to be willing to to take the best players available and not be attached too much to positions. Um, so if Booth or McDuffie fell, I'd give either of them an A. I think guys like McCreary and Elam are more realistic in terms of corners that'll be available at 35 and 38. How would you grade those guys who don't necessarily have the first round appeal? Well, I think both those guys could go in the first round, but aren't necessarily as universally widely regarded as, as a Booth or McDuffie, but are still very good football players in their own right. Well, I will say that McCreary is one of the guys who comes up um, when I filtered for players who have a very low chance of being drafted by the Jets. Um, low relative athletic score, 548. Doesn't make up for it by being a captain. So uh, he is on that list. It's worth noting. Um, and it seems talent-wise to be right around where he's supposed to go. So um, just based on my, you know, very specific Joe Douglas research, <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't love it based on that. So I'll go with the C for him. Um, Elam does seem to be a little bit more highly regarded, um, better athletic profile. Um, so I, I'd go with the B for him. I have, I have an aversion to Florida defenders though. I can't, you know, it's just like, I, that's true. <laughs> I'll give him slightly. He's higher. not an edge rusher though. It's specifically he's, he's an, edge rusher. He isn't an edge rusher. So I'll give, I'll give him a C plus, I guess. I'll give him a career C and him and Elam a C plus. Um, all right. Well, looking at the other positions we haven't talked about offensive line. And I, this guy, I, 
I very much doubt next to 35 or 38, but he is a bit scheme specific. He plays a position that I think a lot of teams don't see as premium. It's possible. Tyler Linderbaum, who some fans have in consideration at 10, but when you look at the board, it's if it'll take Cincinnati passing on him, you know, you know, Jacksonville wants to invest in their offensive line. It'll be tough for him to make it to 35, but if he did a plus has to be an a plus for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll go. I'll just go with the name plus because I, I'm a huge fan of this player's value. Before they signed, um, before they signed Tomlinson, I was a, I was a fan of taking him potentially at ten and you know sliding McGovern over. That was something earlier we were talking about. So um, at thirty five, the value is too good. Uh, next is Kenyon Green, who I think could be on the board here, and it's a good example of a versatile offensive lineman. I think Joe Douglas would like a player like Kenyon green, but he had the center's the one position he hasn't played. I think he did say he'd be comfortable with playing it at the combine. If I remember correctly. Um, I, I think Kenyon green's a damn good football player. I, I'd give this a B because I don't really see the immediate place he could play. And also I kind of feel like his future is at guard, which is where I think you're the most confident in with the jets. But um, he's, he, it's not, it's not a bad thing to add a good offensive lineman who's, who's versatile. So I'll give it a B. Uh, I, I think I'd – yeah, the talent would be good. And I do think they're going to take an off developmental O-lineman on day two or early day three. Um, this would be a little a little early for that, but he is a good talent value here. Um, I, I'll, I'll match you. I'll go with the B. And then I think we both said Trevor – well, I don't know if we give our grades, but Trevor Penning, if they took him at 35 <sighs> – it's tough because I just I'm you still know going a D. I just don't like. You know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go down on Kenyon Green. I'm gonna push him down to a C. I'll keep Trevor Penning at a D. I I don't think. Yeah, it's tough. Well, but Penning is kind of like maybe the ideal guy to not the ideal guy. We don't like him as much as a player, but in terms of if they want to take a developmental tackle to sit behind Becton and Fant and potentially take over for Fant or whatever. I mean, you can't hate on on Penning at, at you can't hate too much on Penning at 35 or 38 just based off his. Um, the way the, the rest of the league season, but personally you and I both aren't really high on penning. So I'll keep him at a D. Um, all right. I think the only position we didn't talk about was edge. And so this is in the case that the jets go with Ekwanu at four and a receiver at 10, whatever. This is a very good edge class, um, especially when you get deeper and around picks 35 and 38. And we haven't really talked too much about these guys. We'll start with Boye Mafe, who really, impressed me at the senior bowl. I mean, he, he blew my socks off when I was watching him. I mean, his burst, um, his bend, super impressive. Maybe he's better in a three, four, cause he's a little smaller. Um, but it's hard not to love boy. Mafe. Um, so let's say the jets don't get an edge at four or 10. Michael, how would you react to boy? Mafe? Yeah, he has uh, really good pressure numbers and things like that. Uh, as does Arnold Ebuchetti. So, um, I think there are, I think there's really good depth in this edge class. If, as much as we want a guy in the top 10, and I think they'll definitely get one. Um, if somehow it plays out that they don't, I think they could, there are still guys you could feel really good about here. Um, so I'm, I'm going to just to talk about both these guys at once, I guess for both Epichetti and Mafe, I'm assuming in this scenario, you didn't take an edge rusher already. So I'll just go with an A for both of them. Yeah. For me, Epichetti is an A plus at the spot. Uh, boy, Mafia will give an A. I, I love both players. I think Abiketti's maybe they're, they're both good fits, but Mafia's a, a little small. That's the reason I would give him an A. Cameron Thomas from SDSU. Uh, I can't pretend like we've done too much, looked too much into him, but he is an edge. He's been going, you know, 
in this range. I think the one thing that he has over Ebiketti and Mafe, and the next guy we're going to talk about is size. He's more of a prototypical 4-3 defensive end. But again, he's a bit out of left field. Uh, if they don't get an edge, I'll give him a B minus. And if, in all transparency, I'm not going to pretend to know too much about this player, but we did list him because we didn't want to, you know, uh, have anybody that they, that we haven't talked about. How would you react to Cameron Thomas? Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest as well. I don't know as much as him as the other, the other two players we talked about and uh, some of the other guys here. So obviously my reaction can't be too strong if I don't know too much about the player. So th- that's something also I've learned watching drafts over the years. I, it, you shouldn't react to players if you don't really know them that much. It doesn't really make sense to like you. Just, a lot of times I would just, I'm talking years ago when I was a younger Michael Nania, but um, you would just see like the position be like, no, or yeah, but I don't actually know the player at all. And I'm, I'm more talking like later rounds, but um, uh, just if you don't really know the prospect, you shouldn't like react to it too strongly. It's a good lesson. Um, for sure. Yeah. I, I think with all three of these edge rushers, I mean, I, I know I like Mafa and Ebikiti. They're both, uh, I know a lot more about them than Cameron Thomas. So you're right. I think this one's a bit of a wash, but I, I'd give it a B minus. I mean, look, I think w- once you get past day one, I, I think it's fair to have your, your, your own opinions on the guys to take at four and 10 and hell maybe even 35 and 38, but past that, I'm not going to really pretend like I know more than, than Joe Douglas or Robert Sala and their entire scouting department. I mean, those are guys who have been studying this the entire year. They know exactly what the coaching staff is looking for. They've been able to meet with these guys. So my, my attitude, especially when we get to day three, it's like, it's always fun to see them draft somebody that, you know, their name, but a lot of times the best players, are the guys that nobody's really even heard of. So you can't. What, what was that much. joking text I sent you during last year's draft? It was like, it was someone, I think it was Eccles or, one of the guys we Sherwood. never really talked about. Sherwood. And I was like, I'm, I'm fed up with this draft. I yeah. think we should fire <laughs> Douglas. Yeah. It was the, well, Sherwood was the first guy they took that I'd never heard of. And then they took, they went on a spree of taking guys that I, I have never heard of. Um, the last guy we listed here, I don't think they would take him at 35 or 38, but if they didn't get an edge, this would be, I don't see them doing this, but this is maybe more of a guy that they, they would consider if he was available in the third, even if they did take an edge, David Ajabo, who, Blew out his Achilles at his pro day. Super unfortunate. Um, you have to imagine his, his freshman year or his freshman year, his rookie season would be a red shirt season. Um, but again, still a really tantalizing prospect. So this is a guy that I, I don't think the Jets have the luxury of taking, especially at 35 or 38. If he's available in the third, maybe they would do it. Um, 35 or 38, I have to give this, you know, a D maybe. But at you know, in the third round, I would maybe give it like a B or an A, uh, probably a B. I mean, but he's an A-level player. Um, Mike, how would you feel about David Ajabo? I, I put a B here because I think it's a really good talent value. I think if he didn't suffer his injury, he might be in that conversation, right, with some of these other first-round edge rushers to so go very highly. So I think yeah, you're he, he, a- may, he may have been in the conversation of four. Yeah, for sure. So I think the talent value is, is really good here in, in spite of the injury. Uh, scheme fit a little bit questionable on the smaller side more of like a three four outside linebacker so that's a question mark but production athleticism and overall talent for this spot i think is really good even if you have to redshirt yeah and, and he's got the entire year to gain weight and muscle so um no right. but I, I think the concern especially for edge rushes and this is why you know the injury to carl lawson was such a bummer is you just an achilles injury and this is you know i've had a bunch of achilles surgeries it is it, it's hard to come back from an Achilles surgery. And I, I think Carl Lawson can definitely do it, but, 
but it's it's no sure thing. It's in fact, you know, you'd rather have a guy tear an ACL than an Achilles because you just don't, especially an edge rusher, you just don't know how that's going to affect that burst, that explosiveness, that suddenness, their ability to change directions. Um, it's another reason I'm shocked the Saints paid Marcus May what they paid him. Um, so with Ojabo at 35 or 38, I, I can't love it, especially since he was a guy who's raw, who's going to need a time to develop. He's going to take a year off football. I wouldn't like it at 35 or 38, but in the third round, I think you can maybe take that gamble if, if he's a player you like. All right, Michael, I think we have, we've touched on everybody. I will be absolutely shocked if they take somebody at four or 10 that we haven't talked about. Um, I mean, all this will be for waste, um, but I, we're on record now, Michael, this, this report card right here. Yes. I mean, this, this looks like my uh, college transcript a little bit, but uh, it is here. A lot of C's. Um, but it, it, this is on record now. So no matter who they take, Michael, our, our opinion before the draft, before we've had time to rationalize, is out there. We'll see how much it changes depending on, on who they draft. Um, but I'm one, thinking- thing I, one thing I do notice is that our second round picks, like if this is, this is what your transcript looks like, then, then you're in good shape. I see a lot of A's and B's on here. So I think we're going to be happy. With well, I think the, the thing is, is because when you get to the second round, we listed uh, it, it's more like it is still possible. They could take a guy at 35 or 38. We don't have listed here, uh, but all the guys we did list are guys we've heard of and have, have talked about. I think Cameron Thomas right. is the only guy that I haven't really looked into out of all the guys we've talked about. Um, so it's like, if they take a guy you've heard of at 35 or 38, you're probably going to be more likely. Yeah. To that's be a good a fan of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, my my goal for thirty five or thirty eight is just I'm hoping one guy, like a Nicobe Dean or a Tyler Linderbaum or a Daxon Hill, just somebody exciting can fall to that spot. Uh, Dean or Linderbaum is is clearly the, the the leader of the pack there. But there's a there's an area where they neither of them make it, and then you know there's still good players in that range. And you know, honestly, it's not just it's not just the two second round picks. It's the third, it's the two fourths, and the two fifths. I mean that that range in this draft. It, from the third to the fifth round, it's incredibly deep because of the COVID year. A lot of guys went back. This is the year they're coming out. It's not really a top heavy draft, but those fourth round picks and those two fifth round picks, those are valuable. Um, so, you know, we don't have the time to go into all those guys, but I'm just so excited for the draft to be here. Um, I just want to see who they take. And so then we can finally start looking into them and, and forming our opinions. And then, you know, the schedule gets released and then before you know it, training camps here and the preseasons here, and then we're doing this, all over again for the Jets to lose week one in an embarrassing fashion and us to be looking forward to the draft in 2023. Yes, exactly. That's how this works. All right, you can follow <laughs> us at CYJ Pod on Twitter. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania, myself at Ben W. Blessington. Go to JetsXFactor.com for the best place to go for Jets content. Uh, I think that's it, Michael. Um, any, any last thoughts before we get – I know we, we will do a mailbag. We put out some questions – or we put out a tweet. We got some questions back. We're compiling a big draft mailbag. We still have to do a mock draft. We really haven't come out with our exact player rankings, although this episode kind of accomplished that. Um, so we still have some things to come out with before the draft. We're still finalizing our, our exact draft week plans, but we will have a lot of content next week, um, especially during and after the draft. Uh, Michael, any last thoughts before we get out of here? No, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited for the draft. to, to finally, it, It's a good feeling when you finally figure out who that one guy is. That well, in this case, two first round picks and two second rounders. Um, but to finally know like who your guy is, because we have you know, right now, how many players we talked about today, like at least 30, and only max four of them are going to be Jets. So once you finally figure out, it's like a satisfying feeling okay, these are our guys, this is who I got to learn about and familiarize myself with. Um, and this is a guy who's going to be a 
big part of my life for the next few years. So uh, it's fun. All right. Well, there you have it. Yeah, we will be back probably later this week with the mailbag. Um, but again, next week, big week for content. Everybody have a great week. Almost here, nine days away. Then all this, all this meaningless discussion can stop. Have a good one.